With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is being presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at betmgm.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Big Football Show, a podcast by The Athletic about Big Ten football. Today is Wednesday, December 22nd, and this is Scott Docterman, and I write mostly about Iowa. Today, I'm joined by our five-star extraordinaire, Ari Wasserman, who covers national recruiting for us here at The Athletic and also has a podcast, a very memorable one every week with our, with uh, Andy Staples. So welcome, uh, Ari. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I uh, can't complain. You know, it's Christmas week, which means that there's a lot of stuff going on and not a lot of time to do it. So whether you celebrate the holiday or not, it's always busy. So, uh, but uh, yeah, here we are just uh, a week removed from National Signing Day. I know that was kind of, uh, you know, your Christmas and every other holiday wrapped into one. Um, you know, week out, what's what kind of stands out for you both nationally and then Big Ten wise? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's interesting. I mean, nationally speaking, and I added this up, um, four teams will have signed uh, half of the top 100 players nationally this year. And those teams are Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. And there's only one from the Big Ten. And Ohio State um, is fourth on that list of the rankings. So to me, the thing that stands out from from a college football standpoint is, is that as much as everybody is screaming about NIL and how everything's going to be different now that endorsements are available and all the things that were supposed to change um, as a result of this, you know, as much as that has changed, uh, it's kind of still the same. And I think you can make the case that, you know, or at least everybody in Texas <clears throat> is saying that NIL played a huge factor in Texas A&M, you know, kind of breaking out and maybe signing the best class of all time. And, you know, I'd be willing to listen to that. But, you know, as it pertains to the Big Ten and, and the way that they stack up in the national rankings. It's just like Ohio State has continues to be their only hope of building a roster that can compete with those teams uh, at a at a national level. And I think that it's really funny right now, Scott, because the Ohio State is one of the teams in the Big Ten that might have the most questions about itself after what happened in the Michigan game and you know not being in the playoff and stuff. But you know, from a talent standpoint, they've continued and will continue to to amass talent at a pretty remarkable level. And it's a type of thing, too, now that it's kind of funny, and, and we'll kind of get into this, Scott, is I think Ryan Day now is the third highest rate or paid coach in the Big Ten with some of the contracts that have gone out. And, you know, we'll get into Mel Tucker and, and some of the things that are going on at Michigan State and stuff, but, you know, I am very curious to see if there's ever going to be a time where a Michigan or a Michigan State or an Iowa or a Wisconsin can sign a, a class in the top 10 that's, that's you know, 
on par with some of those other teams. Now, granted, Michigan's in, in the top 10 right now, and they, they had a pretty good signing day, but there's still a pretty big gap between what Ohio State's doing and what the rest of the conference is doing. Yeah, no question. I mean, you know, you look even at the at the statistics, then you go average uh, by the composite average recruit score, and, and Ohio State, I believe, is, is number one on the list, or at least it is in rivals. And then, of course, it's, you know, 94 points or whatever the average is on the composite list. So it has a higher scale of recruit. And then you look at Penn State, which was number one for a while until everybody started committing at the end and, and signing. But, um, you know, finishing Penn number State, six. I, I was wrong. I should have had Penn State in that that preamble too like Penn State there with 24 commits and 15 I think 16 of the 24 are blue chip prospects put together a really good class but to your point um Ohio State's average player ranking is 9404 which is a high-end top 100 player average like the that's the average player in their class and Penn State's uh in the in the low 90s and that's a significant difference so you know these are still very like having the number six class overall is a great class and maybe they can do what Michigan did and beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten and make it the playoff. I'm not saying it's impossible, but as, as we're comparing them, and maybe it's not a fair comparison. I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to hear what you think. Like, is it is it useful to compare Penn State to the Alabama class? Or is it is it useful to compare Penn State to Ohio State? Or, or are there other measures of success for the other Big Ten East programs that are trying to, to kind of legitimize themselves as national title contenders, too? I think with the teams like Penn State and Michigan who have to compete every single day with Ohio State, it's different for the teams in the West, but they're going to have to sign a handful of superstars, and that could be high fours to go along with the fives, coupled with developmental prospects that they think have a, you know, a high upside that can be your four- and five-year guys, so you kind of have that tough base of your seniors, your your you know redshirt juniors and your seniors, fifth-year guys down the road that they can take on the, the high star guys. Because I think one of the things I noticed with Ohio State, especially on defense this year, is you know the, the stars are there. I mean, the athletes are there. The talent's there. But they're just – when they consistently cycle these guys out in three years and go to the NFL, that they don't have the development with a lot of these younger players. So when they do face um, – men, guys who are 21, 22 years old that have been in a program like that, that's where sometimes they get beat because they're not uh, they're not developed quite as well and or they're just not um, technically as sound. And, and I think that's where Ohio State and Michigan can even that out if they do it from a coaching perspective. I think Michigan did that this year. I would say they didn't do that in all of Harbaugh's other years where you saw some of the guys, and I'm not just talking about Aiden Hutchinson, but a lot of their like offensive linemen, for instance, that were you know either underachievers or didn't play that well, that really came together. And I think you could kind of defeat the the high star model if you do it that way. But at Ohio State and Alabama and those schools, um, you get a guy hurt, or you got a guy who's a disappointment. You can just plug in another guy, and in uh, your level of play doesn't matter. And I think, and then when you transition that to teams like Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan State. Um, it's it's a it's definitely a step down because their number one corner may be a three star that's a, an all American, but their number two is a sophomore who's a three star that hasn't really began to play, and that's where the drop off is, and that's what makes it really challenging for teams that aren't in that tier or that next tier of recruiting. In my at least in my perspective, yeah, I say this all the time, Scott, um, and I'd be curious to hear what you have to say, but. <clears throat> Creating a national championship caliber team or a team that can win the Big Ten is like making a pizza. And I, I like pizza a lot, so this is my favorite analogy. Whereas 
the main ingredients of pizza is dough and good dough. And if you don't have the dough, I don't care how good your sauce is coaching. I don't care how good your cheese is development. I don't know. I don't care how good your toppings are, you know, uh, X's and O's, uh, weight lifting, strength training, all those things. If you don't have the dough, you don't have a pizza. So to me, the way that you accumulate talent, though people will scream from the mountaintops that it doesn't matter if you've got bad coaching or you're being outcoached by your opponent, it's the necessary ingredient that you have to have to begin the building process. And there are certain teams in this conference that just have that necessary ingredient that if things come together with the other things, like the cheese, the sauce, and the toppings, you might have the best pizza in America. But if you don't have the dough then we're not even in the discussion. So like to me, that's the number one thing when we're talking about recruiting, we're talking about the teams that actually have the players to work with. And if you, if you get the players to work with, then there's a lot of intangibles about like coaching and injuries and all the different things that go into account whenever you're talking about a team on the field during the season. Um, and that to me is the whole thing. So they, they matter. You have to have them, but because you have them doesn't guarantee you you're going to be great. If that makes sense, because you have good dough and crappy sauce, crappy cheese and crappy toppings. You won't have a very good pizza. Right. Well, you're right. I mean, you look at the Alabamas and Ohio States, they're consistently at or near the top of the list every year, not only in recruiting rankings, but in victories and championships and what have you. And then you look at a, at a Texas that, you know, has the dough year in and year out or close to it and can't in you look at what they produce and don't produce it's easy to see that you know all the other toppings aren't there. It's it's bad, and and I think that's what uh, the, the, then there, there. So there's like a tiered structure, and I think almost tiered expectations because as soon as we go to this playoff model, there are teams that can run the race and run go to the distance, and that's a that's the teams that recruit in that top five, top six, seven uh, category, and then there are the other teams that just want to get into the to the playoff, get into the tournament, maybe win a game or two, and um, they they really don't have a stand a chance to get to that final four or certainly championship night, and and I think that's where there's a little bit of separation, and that's where again, you know, let's take uh, uh, an Iowa and Ohio State for instance, you know, four years ago Iowa crushed them in one game situation. That's an outlier. We know that. Although Iowa did have a lot of talent on the field that day that people didn't recognize. But if Iowa is going against Ohio State and both teams are at a high level, it's it's really it's a 14-point game the other way. Uh, it, if they, and, and a part of that is and now if Iowa loses a player or two, one of their seniors, and steps in with a sophomore, that's when an elite talent, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, take your, you know, Trayvon Anderson, you know, whoever can really batter a team like in Iowa, but that that's really the difference. It's to a me depth and, conversation. Yes, it is. It's all it is, you know, and when you look at it, the reason why people love college football, Scott, is because of the upset mm-hmm. of the, 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 the times where good teams lose to teams that aren't on the same level. That happens regularly. It's part of the sport. It always happens. And a lot of times you can't explain why, you know, there's certain results from the season that make you scratch your head. But that to me, is the number one way that people prove if you're against recruiting rankings that they don't matter when that's not at all the case. It's like the team that's won the recruiting crown nine out of the last 11 years has won the national championship like eight times. Like it's, it's, it's infallible. The team's in the playoff every single year. Um, 
are the teams that recruit the best. Now, this year is kind of an interesting case study because Michigan did uh, what it needed to do in order to beat Ohio State then to go on to win the Big Ten. Um, and you might say, look, the talent gap between Michigan and Ohio State doesn't matter this year. Look what happened. They outcoached Ohio State. They out-toughed them, and they won the game. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But when you look at recruiting, you have to look at it over time. It's about averages. You know, you can pick out a single player in a recruiting class and say, hey, that was a five-star prospect and he sucks. Or this is a three-star prospect and he's the best player in the conference. It's like on a micro level, you can come up with with examples to the contrary of whatever you want at any time. But it's about data. Over the course of multiple recruiting classes and signing 15 five-star prospects in a four-year period, if nine of them hit, that makes you a really good football team. And you might point to the six that didn't hit, but you still have nine five-star prospects on the field at any given time that other teams in the Big Ten combined don't have. And over the course of a 10-year period, if you look at the way Ohio State's recruited and you look at the way the rest of the Big Ten recruited, what do you see? You see a team that has dominated the conference for the most part, didn't win it every year. It has lost to Penn State, it's lost to Iowa, um, it's lost to Purdue. You know, But over the course of time, when the averages play out, this is the result of it. So, you know, you know, individual classes and individual years and even individual games are interesting. They're fun that they're what make this sport great. But the importance of this aspect of the game isn't is is not a debate. And I don't know why I continue to have it with people because it's just like it's just insane to me that somebody could be like, hey, this isn't important um, or, it, or it isn't the end all be all. So, uh, you know, it is interesting, though, because. I, having covered Ohio State for as many years as I did, think at times that I have a hard time viewing the sport through the correct lens for 90% of the rest of the sport. Because like when you think about it, there are only seven teams in the entire sport that are equipped from a same level. And it's like, I shouldn't be, be judging Iowa or Wisconsin or Northwestern by the same standard because their standard for what they want to do is a little bit different. And what they're able to do from a geographical standpoint is more limited. And what their investment into the program isn't quite as, it's not apples to apples in every single scenario. And for a team like Iowa, I know that it had a, a pretty tough end of the year, but for the most part, I would say it's a pretty successful season. You know, they were, you know, for the fact that they didn't have uh, much of an offense this year, they still you know, we're in the top five for a large portion of the year and, you know, won some games and, you know, did a pretty good job winning 10 games this year. Like 10 win season at Iowa is perceived differently by the fans in a 10 win season. Like Ohio State fans want to jump off a cliff right now. You know, it's just, a, it's a, it's not always the same thing. So, you know, when trying to talk about recruiting, I think it's an interesting, like, I think we should celebrate the wins at some of these places too, like getting Xavier and Wonka for an Iowa and I know that you cover Iowa, and I'm not trying to make this an Iowa podcast. I just think it's a good example. It's like that, to me, was a tremendous recruiting win. And I think that makes it almost a recruiting cycle win for the entire program. Because you get a top 50 player for the first time since 2001 in the state of Iowa going there. You know, that's the type. And, and beating Ohio State and Notre Dame in the process, that is an example of top-level recruiting from a program with a different standard. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No question. And, and I agree with you wholeheartedly on that because there are different standards and, and uh, you know, East versus West, even in the Big Ten, the upper level East programs uh, have more access to talent locally and nationally than the teams out this way. You know, Iowa, Wisconsin are only two and a half hours apart. They're built with similar tenets and philosophies because they're based on you got to win your division before you can win the conference. And that's kind of where they, they lie. But as you mentioned with Wampa, um, th- th- this is maybe the biggest um, th- this is the festivist portion of this. The biggest problem I have right now with the composite is that ESPN is almost an outlier. And I, I follow both 24-7 and Rivals. I think they're very good. And now they evaluate. They're not perfect. Nobody is. But, but uh, you know, let, let's look at Wampa's uh, uh, profile here. You know, 24-7 has him as the number one safety in the country. He's 11th nationally in a five-star. Rivals has him as the 21st player in the country, the number one safety in a five-star. ESPN has him 161st, the ninth safety, and a four-star. So that lowers his overall ranking to a four-star, which if we all know we, we put a lot of weight into these rankings and who's a five-star, who's a four-star, and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so I, I wonder, where is the disconnect? Where's the outlier? Why is ESPN, which ESPN has Iowa as the 44th class and 12th in the Big Ten, whereas uh, the average for 24-7 composite has them as the with the fourth best recruits in the, in the league and sixth overall. And so um, I'm wondering what's up with ESPN because it just seems to me that it's a complete outlier and skews very, very heavily in really in one part of the country. Yeah, I think that it's, it's very clear you know and i don't want to mm-hmm. uh disparage anybody who know how they do their job but espn is probably the third most respected you know part of that equation than the other two because listen the recruiting world in general is about is about investment um it's about boots on the ground and camps and film and evaluation and the amount of people who are doing it at the 247 and rivals level is so much greater than what they're doing at ESPN, they can't possibly keep up. So you have 100 people evaluating for 247 and 10 people evaluating for ESPN. Which one are you going to trust? So, like, I mean, part of the reason why I always use the 247 composite rankings, and, you know, there's ways like this that you can poke holes into it. You can say, well, an Alabama offer makes them more likely to get rated higher, and, you know, there's all sorts of different things. But again, with recruiting, it's about averages. It's about the course of time. And if you average everything together to get the the um, the median rating and you compile that over years and years and years, at the end, it's going to bear out. And for the most part, it's just like now, I think an Iowa fan might be like, you know what? It really stinks that Nwankba isn't a five-star prospect. And I think from that standpoint, you would want to celebrate that and you want to boast that, hey, we have a five-star prospect on our roster. I understand that completely because recruiting is a competition during the offseason the way that the games are in the regular season. That said, I think there are 33 first-round, or 33 five-star prospects in the 247 rankings, um, and that correlates directly with how many first-round draft picks are going to be. 
that if you're ranked, what does he say, number 43 overall in a four-star prospect? Well, he, right now he's, by ESPN, he's 161st, which puts him at, I think, 45 overall. Yeah. But, but you know, he's a, he's number 11 by 24-7 and number 21 overall by rivals. And they have but the, 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 the difference between 33 and 43 is so negligible that it's just like, what are the, the only qualm is I wish we could call him a five-star prospect if you're an Iowa fan. If you're a top 50 player nationally, you, in my opinion, have the expectation and the responsibility to live up to a five-star status. And the reason why, and people will like read my stories and stuff, I make a distinction. I don't always use five-star as a distinction because of that exact reason. I like to use the top 100 platform as a distinction because really when you think about it you know there might be a huge gap between the number one and the number or like the the one through 10 players and the 40 through 70 players but then how many there are multi there's like two million high school football players in america and if you rank the number 48 player or the number 71 player or the number 96 player or the number 130 player the difference between those like 48 72 and 130 is so negligible that it's not necessarily something that, that you should really lose sleep over. And the fact of the matter is, is, like if you think that ESPN's ranking is stupid, which clearly it is the outlier in this scenario, the fact of the matter is, is that Iowa fans could probably feel pretty good about the player that they got. And that's going to be a, a difference maker and somebody who's going to bear out what they're supposed to be. It's like the same discussion about David Bell uh, at, at Purdue came up this year. And it was like David Bell, I believe, let me look it up real quick. Um, he was a four-star prospect in the national 113 overall player. And if I'm not mistaken, I think his ESPN ranking was a little bit lower than everybody else's. And that said, he's one of the best receivers in America and is probably going to be a first or second round draft pick. And it's just like the difference between his ranking at 113 and 45 is so microscopic in my mind that like it's, it's, you the distinction there is probably between the top 100 or top 150 players in the rest of the country. Because if you think that there's no difference between, you know, 50 and 130, there's really no difference between 500 and 770. Because, like, once you start getting in, like, it's, it's just overwhelming. There's so many players and there's so many reasons for the way that they're ranked and offers and camp tape and injuries and all. Like, Chris Olave was a three-star prospect because he missed his senior season or junior season because of a transfer rule and didn't have a lot of tape out there. So... That said, over time, if you got if your team was built up of players who were similarly ranked to Xavier Nwangpa, and that was your average player, you would have the best team in America. So, like Iowa fans should probably be super ecstatic about about what he is. And I get it. You want to call him a five star? You can't. It sucks. But guess what? You might be able to call him an All-American, and that's probably going to be more important than what his recruiting profile says. Well, sure, and they're used to that here. I mean, when you have T.J. Hawkinson as the number 66 tight end in the country, and then he goes and wins the Mackey and is, is you know, number eight draft pick. And, and, and so it's something that they're used to. It's just they get the stereotypes. You know, Wisconsin does too. I mean, those two are kissing cousins. They're the same type of program. And it's like, well, you know, every single prospect we get is a three-star. And maybe if we're lucky, we're a four-star. But but out east, they're this way. And if if Al- if he would have went to Alabama, I mean, here's what people here think. And, and I don't think they're exactly wrong is if Iwampa picks um, Ohio State, 
does he automatically move up in the ESPN rankings and become a five-star? But the fact that he stayed at Iowa, well, we'll just keep him down here. And and uh, and so, you know, to me, that's a fascinating debate, and I think it's a healthy one in some ways. And and let's face it, we've we've seen good players who uh, are at uh, you know two stars and three stars that zoom up and and automatically become all Americans and later first-round draft picks. So it's it's an inexact science. It's just one that. You know, hey, around here they don't get, you know, it's been 20 years since they've got a uh, five-star guy. He wasn't that good anyway. And now they get a chance to kind of brag about it. And it's like, man, you ranked him 161 and 24-7 ranked him 11th, you know. And it all adds up or equals out. And that's that's. And there's the certainly, there's the one thing that I'll say. The, if he went to Alabama boogeyman thing. It's like he had an Ohio State offer mm-hmm. and he had a Notre Dame offer and he was considering them. The offers, I think, are more important in the um, in the des- in the in the perception phase than the commitment, you know. And a lot of times, and I've talked to a lot of these guys um, that you know, the two four seven analysts, and I've had discussions about it. And it's just like they take in a, a million different things into account when they're ranking a kid. But why wouldn't an Alabama offer be taken into account? You have the greatest head coach of all time. I mean, r- ranking players is about an accumulation of information. You take all the information you have, you put it in a pot, you put it together, and you spit out what you think. So so great footwork is one piece of the equation. Explosive film is another piece of an equation. An Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson offer also is part of the equation. And it's an incentive for these recruiting analysts to take a closer look. So if that's a conspiracy theory, that's fine. You know, and I would say that if players are ranked based on where they're going, then I would see a team that isn't one of those teams win a national championship one day. I'd like to see a uh, a Wake Forest jump out of nowhere and win it all, or to see a Purdue win it all. You know, because the rankings are skewed, and you know Wisconsin win it all, or Iowa win it all, but they don't because it's accurate. And and part of the reason why, you know, certain players are ranked certain ways certainly has to do with where they're from because you know you have a bunch of analysts in the south you have a bunch of analysts on the west coast in texas and the midwest but it's all about visibility too right you know i I don't know you probably know more than i do but how many camps did xavier nwankpa go to how much did he have access to did he get to go to the opening uh in la like a lot of the kids out there are where there's a 900 247 reporters walking around like an army you know and it's harder to get your ranking because it's impossible to a take into account level of competition on film and B, if you don't get the eyes on you in person at camps that you don't have access to, it's just a harder thing to do in Iowa because there aren't as many that are within driving range. If you live in LA, you can go to a camp in Phoenix. You can go to a camp in Northern California. You can go to the three that are in LA and you can get analyzed seven or eight times more than somebody who lives in the middle of the country, like in Iowa. So that does take it take into account, but the, the idea that players only earn their rankings because they got offers is a weird way to look at it because dude, they got offered by Alabama. Of course they're good. You know what I mean? Like that's like that's the way it looks. So like to me, Xavier Nwankba as a top fifty player, if he were a three star prospect, it would be like that's bullshit. But the fact of the matter is he's a top fifty player nationally, and the reason why he's a little bit lower in the rankings is because the third and final tier of the composite rankings misrated him, you know? And if you know that, then, you know, that's fine. 
And I, and I think it would probably be even more more upsetting if you were a Ohio State or a Penn State who's trying to win the recruiting crown or you're you're worried about your recruiting ranking. But like, honestly, if you go and you look into the calculator on 247 and you typed in Iowa's class and you removed Xavier Nwankpa, um from Iowa's class and then you added a five-star prospect to it instead, then the results of what that would do to their overall ranking in the country would be negligible. So to me, I understand the the angst over it, but I promise you it's not that big of a deal. All right. That's fair, and that's it's just an interesting anecdote. But you're right, you're right, you're right. There is There are certain things that happen in the recruiting world that make no sense. And there are certain players every single year that are misevaluated. And I like to use Chris Olave as the perfect example yeah. because I covered his recruitment closely. And the guy is going to be a first-round draft pick this year. And he had relatively zero tape. And he earned an Ohio State offer, and he went there as a three-star prospect. And it was just like, well, was he a three-star prospect because he wasn't very good? Or was he a three-star prospect because there was no tape on him? And it's just like one of those things that it's just like you have to take into account that evaluating is really, really hard. And sometimes there's more access to more material in that evaluation than in other scenarios. And if there's less access to material, game tape, camp tape, you know, in-person interviews, all the things that 247 uses as a business model, it's just going to be harder to get a higher ranking. But to be in Iowa and to be a top 50 player and to be a five-star prospect in multiple services, I think that it's pretty clear that he's probably accurately ranked. One, one fascinating development to me since really August and culminated a, a week ago or so is is Quinn Ewers. And uh, he would have been the number one player. He was the number one player ranked for 2022, reclassified. Uh, went to Ohio State, made a million bucks, <laughs> and then a uh, semester Reportedly, in decided to yeah. Yeah, hit the portal. Um, and now he's going back to his home state of Texas to presumably make probably another million bucks. Um, how did this kind of... I know you followed it closely. How did this all work out from beginning to end? And and then what did it do to, you know, maybe to help Ohio State go ahead and get a, a Devin Brown, and who was a, you know, USC commit, but, you know, a pretty good replacement, I would say, uh, for Quinn Ewers? Yeah. Um, the thing that is kind of frustrating about NIL is that there is no – it's not open record. So mm-hmm. if somebody says he made a million bucks – that's something that's nice to say. I don't know if Quinn Ewers went back to Texas with $750,000 in his pocket after taxes. Like I, I I can't confirm that. I don't think anybody can. So like for me in this recruiting process and in writing a lot about national recruiting, the thing that I've encountered a lot from people is well, NIL era, they're just going for the bag. And it's like, I think the NIL stuff has replaced the bag man boogeyman. Like, I think it's just an easy thing to say when you're mad that your team didn't get the guy that you wanted. Now, that's not the case with Quinn Ewers because he's probably one of the most marketable players in the sport right now because he's a quarterback. He was going, he was the number one player overall in the class. He has a mullet, you know, all the things that make him a little bit more visible than most players do. So, like, to me, it's like, I don't know how much he got paid at Ohio State, and I don't know how much his actual decision was based on going to get paid. I'm sure it it played a huge factor in it because who wouldn't want to? But I also think, too, that when you're the number one quarterback and the number one player in the country, you just want to get your clock started faster. And the way that it turned out was hilarious because he had two handoffs in a game for Ohio State at the end while they're running out the clock, and then he's gone. But he was initially a 2022 prospect. 
He became a 2021 prospect. He went to college for a year. Not a year, sorry, two and a half months. He lives in Columbus. He got developed by Ryan Day, whatever. And now he's back at Texas as a transfer. So, like, the way I view it is Quinn Ewers is the number one player in the country, and he just committed to Texas. He's a 2022 kid. He's a transfer, but he basically just decommitted from Ohio State at the at the 11th hour. He was in the program, but was he really in the program? And, like, that's the thing about programs like Ohio State, too. It's just, like, they have C.J. Stroud. They've got Kyle McCord, who's another five-star prospect on the roster. They lose Quinn Ewers, which is supposed to be a big body blow, and then they go out and they get Devin Brown, who's from Utah and was committed to USC. And, like, it was, like, you you know, most programs have to take two or three years to recruit this kid to get him on campus. Ohio State, despite having a logjam at his position, got him. You know, and I think it's quite possible that Quinn Ewers will go to Texas and win the Heisman. You know, like, he is a really good football player. But, again, it's about the, the uh, is it macro? Is that the way you say it? Macro and micro? It's the macro. It's not just Quinn Ewers and how bad that stinks for a team to lose him. It's about the 84 other players on the roster and how they're assembled. So, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting to see as, as play, like Arch Manning, who comes from an obviously wealthy family. It doesn't really quite um, compute the same way that NIL might for somebody else. Um, but the 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 mega superstar high school quarterbacks moving forward, um, how NIL is going to take into account when it comes to like their, their payday. Um, but for the most part, Scott, I think you know that 99.9% of the prospects coming out of high school might make an extra 5,000 a semester or a year, you know, or you know, get some extra money that they wouldn't have had that, you know, is significant money for a college kid, but isn't going to change anyone's life when they're an adult. And I think as this continues to become more and more normal, people are going to realize that it's a really stupid business decision. If you're a four-star or five-star prospect to pick a school based on where you can get that 6,000 bucks, if it's going to handicap your ability to be developed the right way to be an NFL player where the real generational wealth rests. So like with Quinn Ewers, did he make a million bucks? Reportedly, maybe he did. I don't know. Um, and if he did, then I would have done the same freaking thing. I would have. I would have gone to Ohio State for three months, made a million dollars, put it in a in an investment S and P five hundred ETF, and then transferred back to the school he was initially committed to anyway. Because like, if they're gonna, if, if programs and people are gonna be dumb enough, not programs, people are gonna be dumb enough to pay him a million dollars to do a kombucha ad on his on his Instagram. They're, it's just not smart business, and you're going to see that the market's going to set itself, and it's going to, like, whoever paid Quinn Ewers that million dollars did not get a million dollars worth of, of value for their brand because of that post, mm-hmm. and eventually, I think this stuff's just going to calm down. I really no, do. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you, because I look at, I mean, if you're at Ohio State, why wouldn't you want to invest that into C.J. Stroud um, instead of Quinn Ewers? Or invest uh, that in the program directly. Right. If I were a, if I were a donor, I would say, you know what? I'm not going to pay an individual five star prospect this money. Mm-hmm. I'm going to donate it to the program, and I want it to be allocated to the overall recruiting budget. Mm-hmm. So we have more planes in the air, more traveling, more more whatever you need, more staffers, more analysts, more because it's a business, and it's just mm-hmm. like if somebody it's a re it's a misallocation of money, in my opinion. And, you know, you might be able to convince a five-star prospect to come um, as a result of it here and there if you're a program that doesn't usually get them. But a five-star quarterback going to Ohio State isn't new. So, like, I just don't know how much that was. And I think it was probably more so about him being blocked on the depth chart than it was about his money, in my sure. opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, when you got and homesick potentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you got C.J. Stroud, who was uh, you know a Heisman type finalist guy, and he's going to be there, has to be there at least one more year. I mean, you know, you're, you might as well just uh, hang on. I like make fun of Kirby Smart for letting Justin Fields go. Because in my opinion, if you make $8 million a year as a head coach, you have to be able to identify what's on your roster. And I know that it was a very difficult situation for him because Jake Fromm just led them to the national championship game. And Justin Fields is a generational talent, and C.J. Stroud is nowhere near as good as Justin Fields was. And I think it's possible that one day we'll look back at Quinn Ewers and it'll be like, you know what, how on earth did you stick with C.J. Stroud when Quinn Ewers is like the greatest quarterback of our generation. Like, I think that's certainly on the table. But the fact of the matter is, the guy was on campus for two and a half months or three months. It's just not enough time to even know what you have, you know, or at least to give them the promises of, hey, you're going to start. There just wasn't enough time. Like, at least Justin Fields is on campus for over a year, you know, where you would have been able to cultivate that, the understanding of who he is, what he's about, what what he's capable of physically, you know, it's like Quinn Ewers didn't even give Ohio State a chance to like get it going, you know. So, to me, that to it looks from the outside like he's just getting a bunch of bad advice or brilliant advice, depending on how you look at it. Um, and I'm very curious to track his career at Texas, and I wonder if he'll be the catalyst of change there. Yeah, and and the other part is, I mean, he enrolled so late. I mean, he joined yeah, the team, he, and he doesn't even in fall camp. Yeah, I mean, as a true freshman quarterback, you know, it's you, yeah. you just. That's not a position where you can just step right in and be a an athlete, unless there's some injuries or something like that. But it, it's very difficult. You got to got to you almost have to enroll at, in January to make that kind of an effort. It's certainly by June, not late August. But uh, especially when you have two other five star prospects ahead of you on the depth chart that have been there for a year. Exactly. Now, you know, one one player I'm really fascinated with is is a Penn is going to Penn State, and that's an, an, an Ohio kid, a Drew Aller. Um, was there ever a chance that Ohio State could poach him, or was he so solid with the with the Nittany Lions that there was really no no way he was going to think about going to Ohio State? Yeah, I think that Ohio State, if they would have recruited him like a priority from the beginning, might have had a chance. And this is the thing that Big Ten teams have to capitalize on, and and I've written a lot about is that Ohio State now is a nationally recruiting program. They will go and get the best player at the position regardless of where they live, and that in turn opens the door for really good players in the state of Ohio to no longer you know, be accepted or have room in their class. So Drew Aller now, who's a five-star prospect, I believe, or at least you know, kind of grew into one, wasn't a five-star prospect at the beginning of his recruitment and wasn't a five-star prospect in July when he was at the opening. And Ohio State had Quinn Ewers at that time committed. They went and got the number one um the number one overall player in the country out of Dallas and left the door wide open for Penn state to go in and take an Ohio prospect who might be again, not to be hyperbolic, but the catalyst for change at their program because elite level, elite level quarterback play at Penn state hasn't necessarily, and I don't mean like Trace McSorley was a good player. You know, Sean Clifford had really good games this year, but I'm talking about elite NFL caliber type quarterback. I know Christian Hackenberg had a a year where people were really excited about his potential. But like if Drew Aller is like a a bona fide stud, 
coming out of Ohio, like that should be a kid that's going to Ohio State. But because that they're out in Florida and Texas and California and Utah and all these different places, it leaves them vulnerable for the rest of the Big Ten to come in and poach really good top-level players that are being overlooked because Ohio State's too busy being a national program. So I think Penn State, who has seen Ohio State come into their backyard and steal really, really good players out of their pocket because they're a national recruiting team and going into Philadelphia and getting Kyle McCord the year before or getting Julian Fleming, who was the number one receiver two years ago, you know, that's tough. So for them to return the favor, I thought was really high-level recruiting. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see if, like, Penn State's offense can take the next level jump because they've always had really good skill. I mean, they've had the Saquon Barkley's of the world, and KJ Hamler is one of the best receivers in college football. I mean, like, or or was, and you know, Jahan Dotson this year, Micah Parsons. They have pieces, Um, and Penn State has played Ohio State incredibly close every single year. You know, like to me, like I still think that Penn State is probably a bigger thorn in Ohio State's side than Michigan is, Uh, even though they lost to Michigan this year, and it probably hurts more for them. You know, if they get a, a bona fide first round draft pick at quarterback, um, I'm very excited to see what the manifestation of the Big Ten East looks like. And listen, Scott, over the course of the past seven years, how many bona fide NFL players have they had at the quarterback position in the Big Ten in general? I mean, I mean, Russell Wilson maybe was like the last real one, you know, and Justin Fields was one, you know. But now if you look at the Big Ten East, you might have Drew Aller, you have C.J. Stroud. And Kyle McCord and now Devin Brown in one program, JJ McCarthy at Michigan. I mean, you've got some big time players coming in and playing the quarterback position at these programs that really haven't. I mean, Cade McNamara is a nice player, but he's not playing in the NFL. So, like, to me, I wonder if there's going to be a major renaissance of 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 the types of teams that Michigan was this year because high-level quarterback play is exactly what you need in college football to be transcendent. And if you have a, a crappy quarterback or a below-average one, I, I think that you probably had a front-row seat to some of that this year. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty hard thing to overcome. Um, so that, to me, like, and, and quarterbacks are just better coming out of high school this year, uh, this, these days. They've got mm-hmm. private quarterback coaches. They've got the opening. They, they are working out. Uh, 24 hours a day trying to figure out how to be the best quarterbacks. And that's why they want to play earlier. Um, and there's one at the three biggest uh, programs in the big 10 East, which I think is going to be fun, fun to track. Yeah. And it's what's going to be really interesting is how does that parlay when, uh, cause I think the big 10 is closing in on some decisions regarding its scheduling and they're there. It may eliminate divisions altogether and go to a eight game schedule so they can accomp- uh, go to the Alliance but then also have every school play, say, three rivals every year and then rotate the rest of the 10 teams two years on, two years off. So how will that affect uh, the rest of the league, you know, and, and rather than just stick in the, in the Big Ten East? So I, I'm, I think that – and I think, if anything, the one school that benefits the most is, is Penn State. Uh, because it's been kind of the bridesmaid to Ohio State all these years, and I mean Michigan's rise notwithstanding, I think it's uh, that's probably a healthy situation for the Nittany Lions, and uh, probably for the whole league for that matter. Um, because is even though game for game it's pretty close between the two divisions, championships matter, like you say, stars matter, and um, this year you know it spiraled out of control pretty quickly for Iowa in the third quarter, but. There, there was a difference between the two programs, and I think that's probably going to be healthy for the Big Ten if they do end up going that route. Yeah, 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 I agree. Um, 
I, I think you can make the case that there's no greater beneficiary in college football, the expanded playoff, if that comes, when that comes, than Penn State. Um, because they have constantly been a team that's been in between 8 and 15. And those are the types of teams that have been left out every year. You know, and if they can get a, a quarterback in there that can match some of the skill there and they can, you know, to do that, I think it's interesting. Now, the other thing that I think is interesting here, Scott, is that James Franklin and Mel Tucker make more money than Ryan Day now. And I don't know what that means from an expectation standpoint. But to me, Penn State better start signing some top five classes, right? Like, isn't that what that is that what that means to you? Because um a hundred million dollars for these guys is a lot of money to not win the Big Ten. Without a doubt, I mean the coach that I cover and have covered for a generation, and Kirk Ferentz one one day was that coach that he made four million dollars in a day when everybody else made one, and everybody thought, well, what are you doing? And then he's not winning championships, even though he's getting top ten teams, and then but the expectations kind of crushed him at times. Um, I think the same thing for Michigan State and, you know, with Mel Tucker. I mean, this is really largely on one year. And Mark D'Antonio was an ex- outstanding coach whose time came to an end, rightly so, but he's got he's to sign some classes. And, um, you and know, he did it through the transfer portal, too. I mean, this yeah. man made $100 million assembling a team through the transfer portal. Can you imagine that? Mm-hmm. It, it was a one, it, it's like a one-year wonder to me. I think you could supplement your team, but you've got to go with what you get with uh, with high school recruiting. And I mean, that's the foundation of what you do. It, that's what, to me, is going to be what we're going to find out in five to six years is the transfer portal is like NFL free agency. I mean, you can at times uh, bring a bunch of guys together and they do well, but you're going to have to really build a foundation each and every year and, and team through, through the draft slash through the recruiting. And then this year – you know, they hit the mother load. But are they going to be able to do that all the time? I don't see that. I don't see that as a formula for success more than just a, a one-year push, which they obviously, it was very successful. But but you look at, you know, they, they ranked 21st overall in recruiting uh, numbers. But then, you know, per player, they were seventh in the Big Ten. So, you know, where do they go? Likewise with Penn State, there's a, there's always been a higher expectation there. And to be the bridesmaid every year, uh, you know, even the year that they won the Big Ten, they weren't the team going to the playoff. Uh, that they, they have to punch through at some point. Yeah, and it's just it's interesting to me. It's like because Kenneth Walker is not going to come through that door every year, you know. And I know they got a lot of really good players, but you're not going. I I doubt that as the transfer portal becomes more mainstream and more people are engaged in it at a higher level that you'll be able to build a roster the way that Michigan State did through the portal this year regularly. So to hand out that much money to a coach after one year that they were losing 49 to nothing at halftime against Ohio State is a big gamble, in my opinion. I was blown away by that. And I understand that if he's being courted by other teams, um, and I'm not even saying that I, I, I don't believe that Mel Tucker can be good. I think he can be good. My point is that I don't think that he's proven that he is a $100 million coach when he got the contract yet. No question. You look at the at the lost uh, – they lost to Purdue. They lost to uh, Ohio State. Those were their two losses. But they still didn't play a, a Wisconsin or an Iowa or a Minnesota in the West. And, you know, the year before they played Iowa and it was 49-7. to They lost. I mean, a completely different team, no doubt. But And I'm not saying they wouldn't have won. I'm just saying that that's – 
you still got a, a lot of way, uh, a lot of time to, to figure this out. And so I think they jumped the gun. Now he may be that guy. I don't know. He maybe he is as good or better than D'Antonio, but I think right now that's a lot to invest in a in a coach like. That. I think that's a lot to say because I think Mark D'Antonio was one of the best uh, Big Ten. Like when you did the rankings of the Big Ten yeah. coaches, where did you rank him? I ranked him third. I ranked. Him I think he, uh, behind Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle. I hate and ranked him ahead of uh, yeah. Kirk and and Pat Fitzgerald. That was my top five. I think that that is astute, and I think that Mark D'Antonio, when he had them at their peak in the 14, 15, 13 seasons, mm-hmm. was one of the best coaching jobs I've seen in the history of the game. Yeah. That 15 game against Ohio State, where they went into Columbus, and uh, I believe they had a backup quarterback to boot. And first of all, that was Urban's worst coaching job, other than what he's been doing it or did in Jacksonville. But that was his worst game because you have Ezekiel Elliott and you only hand the ball off to him four times in the second half. But second of all, to go in there and win that game against a team that talented, and that was as talented of a team as I've ever seen in the Big Ten, um, it, it tells you a lot about that. was that. the weirdest game I've ever covered. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you that. But I also don't think that the, the thing that makes Alabama so special is that they have the the hunger that a team that's never won it has every year. And that's, I think, that the, the genius of where Nick Saban is is how he continually has kids on his team that are hungry. And, like, that Ohio State team in 15 just was not hungry. They wanted to get to the league. They didn't want to get injured. They didn't care. Um, you know, they weren't practicing as much because they, you know, were being held out because they've already proven they're good. You know, it was just like a, not a very good year uh, for them. But still, they went to the playoff, and they won the only – Michigan State did – and won the only game that they had to win on the road with a backup quarterback. And it's just like they assembled really, really good football teams. And to me, that's a $100 million coach, not somebody who struck gold and, and found Kenneth Walker in the in the transfer portal and, you know, had a pretty easy schedule and – you know, almost lost to Michigan and, and probably, frankly, was lucky to win that game and then got blown out by Ohio State. Like, that's not $100 million. So we'll, we'll see. You know, also, too, like maybe $100 million is just going to be the baseline contract for co- coaches moving forward, and we're just starting to see that happen now. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's very it's very interesting to track, for sure. For sure. Well, I really appreciate all your time. I know you're busy, and we're all busy this time of year, but certainly uh, I know you're – juggling a lot of balls in the air. And, and, of course, we want to thank you, our legends and listeners, for subscribing. Please rate and review us. And don't be afraid to give us five stars, just like Ari's favorite prospects. So mm-hmm. uh, for Ari Wasserman, this is Scott Docterman, and we will uh, talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.